So if you were in the industry 10 years ago or 20 years ago, you might have gone from 30 GSM down to 20 and thought, okay, well, that's as far as we can go. But of course, as innovation drives innovation and you just go further and further and further. So more reductions are being enabled from those products coming further upstream. Film manufacturers are getting better at making thinner films. The strands, the elastic strands, are reducing desitex. The SAP suppliers are improving the properties of their SAP to keep doing more with less, right? So that's almost the easiest way. Conceptually, it's the easiest way uh, to take weight out of a product because you have a product of a certain design and you implement a lower basis weight substrate and you've taken weight out of your product, right? Because you've used something from further upstream that does the same job with less material. But as I said, conceptually, it's easy because you just use a thinner film, but then you got to think about what does that mean, right? Welcome back to our three-part series on sustainability and disposable hygiene. This is part two of that three-part series. If you remember back to episode one in the series, Christoph Morell and Lorianne Liberlesso covered where the hygiene market currently sits when it comes to sustainability. Then we looked at a less talked about facet of sustainability by discussing consumer concerns and how the industry is reacting to them. On this week's episode, we're diving into one of the more talked about facets of sustainability in our industry which is operations and production. Some of the improvements you can make in your production process or facility are pretty well known, like changing your lighting to LEDs or switching to wind or solar energy. But we'll also talk about making changes to your actual product to reduce waste, reduce the weight of your product, and ultimately reduce your product's environmental footprint. But given the complexity of hygiene products and the number of materials that need to interact in them, can't just make these changes and assume the product will still be able to perform the way your consumers expect it to. One small change to a substrate, film, or to your fluff and SAP ratio could cause big changes in how your product functions. Luckily, Bostic is here to help. Welcome to Attached to Hygiene, a podcast that enables you to grow your knowledge and influence in the disposable hygiene industry. I'm your host, Jack Hughes, Global Digital Marketing Manager for Bostick's Disposable Hygiene Business Unit. This week, we'll have two halves to our episode. In the first half, Bostick's Global Operations Director, Saif Sharawi, is back to discuss improving operations and emissions through better production practices. Saif will cover some high-level topics around sustainability and operations, and then give some examples of how Bostic has implemented those practices to improve our own environmental footprint. For this portion, we'll actually be taking excerpts from a recent interview Saif did with Christoph Morell on a webinar, so you'll hear Christoph asking the questions instead of me. And in the second half, I'll be back to interview Luke Burkholder, who is a technical account manager at Bostic here in North America. Luke will get into more specifics of how hygiene producers can decrease the environmental impact of their products by discussing ways to reduce the weight of hygiene articles. And now, we'll dive into the interview with Christoph and Safe. So uh, before you know, we really start talking into the, the details, I just wanted to ask Safe. so based on your career and experience, what is to you the essence of being a responsible manufacturer? Uh, thank you, Christoph. So, 
Yeah, for me, uh, every each and every responsible manufacturer needs to contribute positively to the society we live in and should always focus on building a brighter future for the coming generation. This could be achieved by firstly ensuring a healthy and safe working environment for all of the stakeholders, and secondly, by the smart management of the resources we have in order to deliver the right solution to the customers without leaving any negative impact or effect on the environment and the society we live in. And this is what we call corporate social responsibility. Thank you, Saif. That's a great introduction. So, I mean, basically, the overall, this webinar will look at, you know, what companies are doing in general to reduce their footprint. We'll focus on what's happening in our value chain. We'll then briefly show what our guiding principles are for uh, for our strategy. So, Saif, as our industrial director, and so you've seen your share of, uh, let's say, communication around improvements of environmental footprint in our industry. So what are the common themes that you've observed? Yeah, that's true, Christophe. So terms like waste management, renewable energy, carbon neutral, recycling, working environment, those are all initiatives and actually commitment by the manufacturers toward our neighborhood. So, for example, when you talk about waste, you should always target not only to reduce, but to reuse your waste. So you need to reduce and reuse. This is achieved by finding useful application for your waste so that it could become a valuable resource for other organizations. This is actually a step up from recycling and it's gaining more and more ground. Circular economy, for example, is an approach based on the use of products that can be reused completely. This approach is currently being promoted and taking more and gaining more and more ground in most of the EU countries. And, and, and so it's not only looking at reducing emissions or waste, so efficiency is also a clear target of the evolution in the manufacturing sector, right, Safe? Exactly. And efficiency means that we consume the exact needed resources in a smart way to deliver the right solution to our customers on time and with the right quality. We rely here on the digital solutions we have to monitor the processes and define the continuous improvement plans to keep our stakeholders satisfied. So investing time, effort, and money in training your staff and building a qualified team will ensure the growth of the business, but will also contribute in building in happier society and will offer better opportunities to the younger generation. Smart tools, simple tools like virtual glasses, for example, will allow you to have a planned tour in any of your manufacturing facility or labs worldwide without having to leave your place. Technology should be used to connect us globally so we could share more, learn from each other, and keep improving the world we live in. And it's fair to say that uh, COVID has really uh, um, uh, increased uh, the importance of these virtual reality tools, um, virtual audits, etc. Uh, and obviously, this is not only valid for the hygiene sector, right? Yeah, that's that's correct. So every sector has its own short-term and long-term objectives and initiatives that will contribute to the growth of the business. So you will always hear terms like OEE or overall equipment efficiency, productivity, first-time right, and all types of KPI that are in place to monitor the performance of the operation. In a competitive and challenging environment, being able to quickly define the needs of your customers and close the gaps you have in your process 
is your key to success. And reducing your environmental footprint is, is no longer a luxury. It's actually becoming part of the customer needs and the local regulation as well. All right, so that's a good overview of what's happening on the, on the market or in the industry in general. So let's see um, what, what are strategies. And, and as part of a, a big chemical company that has clear operational objectives, uh, they want all their subsidiary to follow these objectives. So what, to you, SAFE, is the key element of this strategy? Yeah, so as, as, as part of Arkema, we have the commitment to reduce our greenhouse gases emission by 38% versus the 2015 figures. At Bostock, we follow the same commitment. We have 30% of the emission coming from scope one, while 70% are related to the energy we buy, which we call scope two. And looking to the graph, you could see that we are on track towards achieving this goal and reducing our greenhouse gas emissions, therefore meeting the target of well below degree Celsius. And, and I would like to also emphasize that you, know, you talked about scope one and two, but we also have objectives on our scope three emissions, particularly those that are created by our suppliers. And so we have specific uh, objectives to get our key suppliers to also define their own science-based targets for their emissions. And again, this goes in the direction of saying that we cannot do this alone. This is a, a, um, a journey from the whole um, value chain. We already gave a couple of uh, details on this. I, I thought it would be good to explain uh, and make sure that everybody's aligned on the definitions of greenhouse gas emissions, scope one, scope two, scope three. So Safe, can you explain quickly what we're talking about here? Yeah, sure. So let me try to clarify this uh, in a simple way. In general, scope one, greenhouse gases are volatile molecules that get into the atmosphere somehow, prevent the heat from the sun reflecting on the Earth's surface from dissipating back to the space. So it's, it's creating a greenhouse gas effect. And this is causing global warming. And this is why it's important that we all work together to reduce the level of emissions. So as we mentioned, they are classified in three categories. The first one is the direct emission, which, which we call scope one. They are generated by the, companies, by the company's processes on site, either when the company burns gas or fuel or coal, because this produces CO2, so emissions, or if the processes of the company actually generate gases. The second category is indirect emission. But those are indirect emissions that the company fully controls because they are generated by the energy provided uh, energy providers that the company uses for the operation. So if I use an electricity provider to power my plants, then the emission the emission generated to produce this electricity are my scope to emission. They are indirect because we do not generate them, but actually we control them. And then the third uh, category is scope three emission, and those are indirect emission that we influence, but we cannot control. Those are emissions generated by our raw material supplier or by the distribution and transportation of the finished good or raw material, and by the customers or consumer that use the product and finally by the end of life of the products. So in our scope today, we will cover scope one and two, which are the ones that we can control.
Perfect. That was a great explanation. Thank you. So, can you tell us more about our objective? Yeah, sure. So, as you see, our climate plan is aligned with the Paris Climate Accord, targeting to the well below two degrees Celsius uh, trajectory. And we have a target to reduce our emission, which is again scope one and two, by 38% by 2030. And the baseline here is 2015 figures. We are well on track to achieve our commitment. The environmental footprint is currently part of any study for future investment and Bostock. And what is our plan to achieve this goal? So the first step was to get a clear understanding about the main contributors to scope one and two in our sites. And based on the data analysis we had, we have defined the appropriate scope of action for each site based on the scale of production, the emission factor of the country or service provider, the general layout and the required uh, investment. So some of the action related to scope one were already implemented to reduce or optimize the use of our natural gas, which is our primary source of energy. For example, simple action like adjusting your air to fuel ratio to ensure a complete combustion, improving the insulation of the pipes to prevent any heat loss, redesigning the layout of the oil heater to reduce the length of the pipes and therefore reduce the needed energy to heat the thermal oil for the process. Other creative ideas are still under study to reduce the consumption of natural gas in our site. As I mentioned, this represents 30% of our emission. If, if you look to scope two, for example, it worth mentioning that all our site has moved to LED lighting. Our processes are also designed in a smart way with closed loops for water and thermal oil, so we reduce the energy, the energy consumption. Being part of Arkema, we benefit from a global capex envelope that is dedicated to projects related to energy reduction. And we are also exploring the different options we have by country to improve the mix of energy we purchase in order to reduce the emission factor. Solar panel is one of the options where you could benefit from the net metering system or the self-consumption approach based on the local regulation in every country. To give you more insight, the coefficient of emission of coal, for example, is around 1,000 kilogram of equivalent CO2 per megawatt hour, while it's only 450 if we use natural gas and 32 if we use solar energy. It's a journey for sure. And the more we grow the business and we expand, the more we consume energy and the more we emit gases. But everyone here is committed to achieve the target set for 2030. Thank you, Saif. And I like the way you depicted these, pro these journeys. Of course, any plan requires that initially you understand what you're doing, obviously. But in order to reduce the carbon footprint, the first part is to reduce energy consumption. And then you can tackle the, uh, the energy mix and try to move towards more renewable uh, electricity supplies, for example. But the really always the first part is to reduce the energy that we consume. And so beyond CO2 emissions, environmental impact can also be described by other uh, indicators within, um, within the Arkema Bostic strategy. That's correct. So we do have specific objectives to reduce our VOC emission by 65% by 2030. The baseline here is the tw uh, 2012 figures. And so I'm not a chemist, but VOC are actually airborne chemicals. Uh, and it's actually it's a measurement of the quality of the air. And 
VOC are part of our business and personal daily life. Chemical oxygen demand, or COD, is actually the amount of dissolved oxygen present in water to oxidize chemical organic materials. So it's a measure to understand the short-term impact of wastewater influence on the oxygen level uh, of the receiving water. And the target is to reduce this by 60% again by, uh, versus, uh, by 2030 versus the 2012 figures. And actually at Bostic, we do not have, we do not have water effluent as part of our processes. Thank you, Safe. So what's happening at Bostic level? Safety first, right? So we actually start any internal meeting with safety results, safety recommendations, demonstration of commitments at all levels of the company. So Safe, what can you say on our targets on safety? Yes, that's true. So let me take a step back here. So let me start by saying that profitability is for sure important for the sustainable growth and continuity of any business. However, any responsible manufacturer should know that people are the main assets we have. Therefore, safety and health of the employees and stakeholders must be the number one priority. And they are the ones actually shaping the future for the younger generation. So what are we doing about it? Can you give us some examples of our daily actions? Sure. So at Bostock, we have several programs in place to ensure we keep our people and processes safe. We keep developing innovative programs like Smart Zone, Time for Safety, 5S, to enhance the safety culture and to raise the level of awareness and communication across the different levels of the organization. So I can proudly say that, the safety, that safety is part of the Bostock DNA. For sure, it's a journey, but everyone here is committed to keep himself, his colleagues, and our partners on site safe. It's our responsibility that everyone goes back home safe. Our safety culture not only keeps our employees safe, but results in more reliable product quality, enhanced supply security, and better cost management for the business and for the stakeholders. And at a level of a company like, like Arkema, dealing with complicated chemical processes, uh, process safety is treated as a priority as well. Yeah, I fully agree. So process safety comes side by side to the people's safety. And it's our responsibility to provide a safe working environment to our people. This starts by providing the right PPEs or personal protective equipment needed for the job and applying the Severin problem, uh, program and audits like machine work process other analysis, management of change. And at Bostic, you will hear a lot about walking the line, open-ended lines, smart cards, smart zones, and those are all initiatives that will ensure the safety of our processes. We have different leading and lagging indicators that monitor our progress. We report different near misses, first aids, process safety events in order to implement the corrective actions and share the return of experience. So for sure, Technology and digitization play a role here. Our processes are, des are designed to shut down immediately in case of any safety risk detect. Thank you, Saif. So to conclude, what we really wanted to bring home today as a key point is that to us, a sustainable adhesive is definitely looking at the second pillar of our strategy being a responsible chemist. So to us, a sustainable adhesive is manufactured in plants where we commit to our employees' safety every day, where our processes are designed to reduce our impact on the environment, and where process safety is at the heart of our investment strategy.
Hey, everyone. Welcome back. Thank you for listening to part one of this episode featuring Christoph Morel and Saif Sharawi. They just gave us a high-level overview of improved production practices to make your operations more efficient. And now we'll go into a more hygiene-specific topic around sustainability, which is how producers can reduce the weight of their products. As I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, this portion will feature Luke Burkholder, who is a technical account manager here at Bostic. And now we'll dive into the interview. Joining me today to discuss producers reducing the weight of their finished products is Luke Burkholder from Bostic. Luke, first time on the podcast, so I'm going to give you the opportunity to, to just introduce yourself and your role at Bostic, your background in the hygiene industry, and I always like to ask our new guests what they like most about uh, working in the hygiene industry, so I'll turn it over to you. Yeah, thank you, Jack. Long-time listener, first-time guest, so uh, <laughs> thanks for having me on. I have been with Bostic about five years in kind of a technical support role, uh, working with our customers, working with the producers that we're going to be talking about today. I have a background, you know, for maybe five years before that, I worked in the tape and label industry, again, with adhesives and much more like kind of industrial pressure sensitive adhesives. Uh, going way back, I have a PhD in physical chemistry. So a little bit more towards the kind of surface science and catalysis and metals and that kind of thing. But I really like adhesion. There's, there's some really interesting and complicated problems that you can get into. And uh, yeah, what do I like about the, the hygiene industry? You know, everybody uses it. So it's a, way, it's a way that impacts, I mean, every human on earth can benefit from it. And I stay with the hygiene industry because of the impact we can have. So if I said, hey, it's single-use plastics, I want, I, want, I want to get away from it, I want to get out of that. Somebody's still going to be doing it. And so I stay with this industry because I want to be part of the impact that it can have to improve itself, to improve people's lives. And it's global. I mean, wherever there's people, they can benefit from hygiene products. I love that point on why you stick with the industry, because as someone who cares very much about sustainability. That's a question I ask myself a lot. You know, we're, we're selling adhesives to single-use plastic producers. But it, seeing how Arkema and Bostic are moving towards a more sustainable future and our, you know, our customers are moving towards a more sustainable future, it's, it's very encouraging. And it's, it's interesting to be a part of that. It's, it's exciting to be a part of that. And I, that is, you know, when I ask myself that question, I have that same answer. Like, I'd, I'd rather be a part of it than abandoning mm -hmm. it. Um, and I think that's that's the exciting part about being in our industry because it is changing and it's going to continue to change. And the, and the, the players that we work with are the market makers for for those kinds of things that we, you know, we, we can't get there to that more sustainable place uh, really without them. Absolutely. And as you said, on top of that, everyone's using them, everyone's benefiting from them. It, that that's a nice feeling as well. It's a really nice feeling as well. And you're you're not the first person to come on here and say that is, you know, people the uh, the people in our industry like that we're making a difference in people's lives. Mm -hmm. All right. So as I said, you're joining us to to talk about producers reducing the weight of their products. So 
we'll start kind of at a high level. When it comes to sustainable manufacturing and, and producers sustainably manufacturing their products, what are some of the key challenges they're facing? So uh, I would lump that, I'd, I'd say four big ones, uh, resource management, and whether it's a separate one or part of that, waste management, kind of just societal improvements, right? Keeping up with society and, and, and providing things for society, and then process efficiency. So it's the, the processes, the resources, and, and then the people, the society societal improvements at the end. And we think it's it's really up to the industry uh, to face those challenges rather than there's big players in this industry and they can strike off and kind of do things on their own. But uh, I would say really n nobody's big enough to make these changes really on their own. It's It's got to be really a collective thing, right? So when we're talking about resource management, that's not just choosing the right ones. Um, but it's also using them efficiently. And that can be compostability, recyclability, biodegradability, bio-based, whatever, no matter what you're doing, even or, or traditional sort of non-renewable things. But no matter what you're using, you want to be using it efficiently. Um, so reducing the amount of resources that, that a manufacturer is using and therefore the weight of that product uh, really positively impacts, you know, not just the the front end, the top line, whatever, but also helps minimize the waste at the end, right? So minimizing inputs, you're also minimizing outputs. You know, the big majority of hygiene products are single use. They're mostly made of plastic. And in a recent study in Germany, those hygiene products were 12 to 13% uh, of municipal waste. Yeah, and that's something that that Christoph Morell brought up in our our last episode, and and brought up in several of the the recent webinars we did. And I was I was talking to someone at a, a conference this week, and and they laid out the the stat to me that a top two products going into landfill were cardboard, unfortunately, and uh, disposable hygiene products. Percentage wise, those are the top two things going into landfill. So, yeah, yeah. definitely some improvements to be making there. I want to stop here to make one comment. I cited that statistic that someone shared with me, but didn't take the time to verify it before mentioning it in the interview. Data on this topic varies, but in a report by the United States Environmental Protection Agency from 2018, we found that the total tonnage of disposable diapers sent to landfills in the U.S. was estimated to be 3.3 million tons. That meant diapers ranked sixth in total tons of product sent to landfills behind food, paper products, including cardboard, yard trimmings, furniture and furnishings, and clothing and footwear. Yeah, and that's crazy because cardboard, we already know cardboard is immediately recyclable now, right? Recyclability of hygiene products is something that's, that's ongoing. Uh, but for the most part, like we said, a, a lot of them get disposed of. And a lot of times that, that disposal is done in a responsible way, right? So they're going into landfills. Yes, we'd fill up our landfill capacity, but, you know, we, we make more landfills and we, we can do that in a responsible way. But of course, sometimes that is done irresponsibly and it can pollute, you know, septic systems, water systems, get out into the environment. And so those are, those are environmental aspects of our products that have to be addressed. And I think you could even make a parallel to some of the 
SOI concerns, not only for exposure during the use of the product, but then uh, what can escape into the environment, you know, afterwards. But but really, if they're going into a waste stream, and uh, we want to try to minimize that. Yeah. Obviously, why, why you're here today, one of the ways to, to do that, to minimize that impact is reducing the weight of the, of the product overall. Yes, for sure. So when it comes to producers pushing themselves, pushing each other to, to reduce the weight of, of their products, you know, we know that's nothing new. Correct, right? So, you know, uh, light weighting, weight reduction efforts have been ongoing, I mean, from the beginning. Uh, diaper manufacturers have been looking to decrease weight for for decades, right? There's a 2015 Idana sustainability report where the number is uh, in 26 years, the diaper weight was cut in half. Uh, So from like 87 to 2013. That's design. It is uh, reducing materials, reducing fluff, reducing film thicknesses, reducing non-woven basis weights, you know, all that stuff. But it didn't, you know, it didn't stop. It didn't stop in 2013. That, that, uh, that continues. You know, and today, it's, it's still about cost, but sometimes, sometimes it isn't about cost. Well, it's always going to be about cost, uh, but it's also about uh, the sustainability issues. Yeah, yeah, can't escape the cost, the cost reduction efforts, particularly in in such a competitive industry. But certainly, the the transition now is to also focusing on the sustainability benefits to to reducing weight. So, how has that weight reduction efforts changed since 2013, when when that last Idana report came out, uh, with this bigger focus on sustainability? Yeah, so I think you know I'm I'm a big fan of trying to break stuff down into chunks and then attack each chunk individually. So we'll look at some various ways that uh, producers are doing that at at a high level, and then maybe dive down into some some details and also look at you know what does that mean for adhesive producers such as Bostic. So ways to reduce the product weight: one, substrates; two, the adhesive add-on. And three, kind of, kind of like product design, right? Which is going to encompass substrates and adhesives, but really kind of not just making the same product with a lighter basis weight substrate, but sort of changing the design um, in order to take weight out. That is particularly going to focus on um, thinner cores, right? And the core of an absorbent hygiene article is going to be one of the main drivers of the mass of that overall product. So let's start with those thinner and lighter substrates. And, you know, I kind of think of this like, it's almost like Moore's Law. So if you were in the industry 10 years ago or 20 years ago, you might have gone from, you know, 30 GSM down to 20 and thought, okay, well, that's as far as we can go. But of course, as innovation drives innovation and you just go further and further and further. So more reductions are being enabled from from those products coming further upstream. Film manufacturers are getting better at making thinner films. And they're even to the point where they're tuning, and I think they always have been, but now they're tuning, you know, the the polyolefins that are going into those films to have different properties to enable them to make those uh, further down gauging. The strands, the elastic strands are uh, reducing desitex 
the SAP suppliers are improving the, you know, the properties of their SAP to kind of keep doing more with less, right? So that's almost the easiest way. Conceptually, it's the easiest way uh, to take weight out of a product because you have a product of a certain design uh, and you implement a lower basis weight substrate and you've taken weight out of your product, right? Because you've used something uh, from further upstream that does the same job uh, with less material. But as I said, conceptually, it's easy because you just use a thinner film. But then you got to think about what does that mean, right? So we're using hot melt adhesives to hold those things together. Those hot melt adhesives, you know, carry heat energy to make them flowable and coatable. And you got to dissipate that energy to, to form a bond. The number one place where that heat goes is into those substrates. And so down gauging that film, it's still polyolefin. It's going to have about the same heat capacity. And it's got to, it's got to take all the heat energy of that glue. So that can cause burn through. If, uh, if you're dumping that same amount of heat into less film or less nonwoven, then, then you, can, you can get some melting, you can get substrate deformation. Uh, one way to get around that is to reduce add-on at the same time as reducing, as reducing the substrate basis weight. So you're, you're kind of lowering both at the same time and keeping them in proportion to each other. But then, of course, that can affect bond performance, right? So you eventually get to a point where you know, the, the glue is at its limit of, of what it can hold together. Um, every scenario is different. And, and this is kind of another thing. If, if you know all of the relevant parameters, right? So the basis weights of the film, the geometry of what's coming together, the speed that it's going, those heat capacities of the glue and the film and everything, you can, you can mathematically calculate thousands of times per second for tiny bits of space, but you can build a model that can, that can give you some insight into kind of what's going on there. And, and that is one of the things that we can do to try and predict uh, what's going to happen. So that's with substrates um, and, and kind of also encompasses adhesive add-on uh, as well. But then the next one is design. And so now we're going to talk a little bit about ways that you can change the product to take out weight. So, so in theory, right, using the exact same substrates, but making a lighter product just by changing the design. And really, again, we see that coming in, uh, especially in core design. So you have, you know, what I would call like a really traditional core where you've got fluff uh, wrapped in some non-woven and there's SAP sprinkled around in there. And, and that makes the core of, of a traditional hygiene product. You can take that same design and just do it with less material inside. So just put a little bit less fluff or a little bit less SAP or change the ratio of fluff to SAP uh, to, to just make that same core a little bit smaller. Then you can talk about changing that and, again, moving it to an upstream process where you have a compound core where on a different line, a different machine, pre-compound core is being built, and then that's just being glued in, inserted into the product. That can be, you know, pure pulp. It can be pulp with SAP. It can have multiple different layers. It can have a gradient of, um, of hydrophilicity that pulls in water and stores it, and that really changes the design of the product. And then the next thing is to, again, build the product uh, online 
but build it in such a way that there's channels or pockets in the core that are sort of separating those levels where the the amount of fluff is going way down, the amount of SAP is going way up uh, in in absolute terms or in in uh, ratio terms, and you're you're keeping them in in some different channels. Yeah, and I think outside of materials, I think over the at least in my you know we've been in the the hygiene industry specifically around the same time. We both started at Bostic within a few months of each other, and I think core design is where I've seen kind of the most change the evolution where people are kind of trying new things and so that's that's really always interesting for me to see and and see see how that's evolved over the last five years and and even beyond that and and you know obviously that's the one place where you're going to get the most bang for your buck if you're able to reduce materials there because that is the heaviest part of the product no matter if you're talking adult incontinence baby or or femme hygiene so We'll dive deeper into cores here. And as you mentioned and, and touched on, Bostic's an adhesive supplier. That's our that's our bread and butter. That's what we know. And we're going to dive even deeper into this a little bit on, on the next episode when we talk uh, you know, a little more about adhesives being an, an enabler. But uh, what role are adhesives playing in enabling and supporting producers to reduce the weight of their core? Yeah, so uh, as you say, in a really general way, it's it's going to depend on the core. And so if we start with those really traditional cores, uh, fluff and SAP mixed together in a ratio of uh, SAP to fluff of like 50-50 or less, so, so really majority fluff, you're relying on the fluff to do a lot of the job of kind of keeping the SAP uh, in place, keeping the granules apart from each other. Um, so you don't get blocking and and kind of hold the product together. And really, the adhesive is there to kind of hold the whole product together. You're kind of building that core, wrapping a, a core wrap around it, and just gluing it together. When you when you start to change that ratio and get down to you know SAP to fluff, that's that's like less than thirty percent fluff. So so seventy percent SAP, thirty percent fluff by mass. Now you're going to need you're going to need a little more bonding in that core wrap. You're going to need things to be a little tighter because there's not as much uh, fluff around to keep that SAP sort of away from itself and well distributed. And that starts to become uh, really critical to the SAP immobilization, uh, both dry and wet. Then reducing it even further, get down to like less than 20% fluff. Now you almost need to have, you need to have some adhesive, like core integrity adhesive in the core, in with the fluff and SAP to kind of hold everything together, not just wrapping, a, you know, a non-woven around it, but really getting some adhesive in there that's, that's sticking things together and immobilizing things in place. Keep going with that, drive it all the way down is, is a core that is completely fluff free in, in what you'd call the core where you've got these channels that contain SAP only. So now there's two jobs, right? One is to bond, to, to hold that SAP in place and immobilize the SAP. Um, the other one is to hold those channels together so that as the product uh, gets insulted, swells, you know, the SAP swells, you're not just ripping those channels apart and going back to one big bag of loose SAP, um, but keeping that separate. So there's multiple jobs that the core adhesive has to do now. Again, mobilize SAP, hold those channels together, and then 
for compound cores. So now that part of that core assembly has been moved to an upstream process. So, so you know, an, an air laid manufacturer or somebody else is, is making that core, pulp, SAP, uh, maybe a, a, a layer underneath to hold the whole thing together. And then, you know, now you just have to hold that, hold that core in place to a backsheet, to a core wrap, to whatever other uh, components are in there, and do that in a way that, that keeps the look and feel, enables the swelling, uh, enables some movement of the body um, to kind of hold the whole thing together. So whatever those challenges are of core design, whatever the substrates are, whatever the, the challenges you're facing, you know, trying to get weight out, Bostic has a has a suite of things, so so not all the adhesives are doing the same job. Sometimes you needed adhesive one and glue to do multiple jobs. Sometimes you have to have multiple glues to do those multiple jobs, um, and and we have that library of adhesives. And it starts with understanding, you know, what the core is, what the product is, and how all those parts need to work together. So not just bonding, you know, those two things together, but how are they going to work in an ensemble in the whole product, and then the product testing. So, um, you know, not just the adhesive product testing and the properties of that material, but the product testing of uh, the finished product and enabling that design uh, with the materials that you want to use and enabling those uh, weight reductions, uh, whether it comes from using a new substrate and then understanding how that's going to interact in an existing design or changing the design um, in a wholesale way to, to really take to take weight out of the product. And we didn't really cover testing today, uh, but we can we can make recommendations on on how to test uh, core performance. Absolutely. Core is one of the many, many things that we are we're willing to help test. And I know uh, we have in the works uh, an episode uh, where we'll dive deeper into core as well. All right. Well, that was a, a, a very in-depth overview of all the changes that can, that can be made in reducing the weight of your product. And and obviously, we dove into the the impact of adhesive on those as well. Luke, I really appreciate you you joining us today to discuss, you know, reducing the weight of products and and how that has an impact on the performance of the product and how we can, you know, we as an adhesive supplier can can help support that as well. You know, appreciate you coming by. Appreciate you sharing your your expertise and the knowledge you've gained your time uh, during your time in the industry. And uh, hopefully, we can we can bring you back again in the future. Yeah, thank you, Jack. Thanks for having me. It's it's been a pleasure and a good discussion. Um, and yeah, I think it's it's great. I like to enable the things that that our customers want to produce. You know, for the consumer. Great. Thanks, Luke. Thank you, Jack. Thank you for listening to today's episode. On our next episode, we'll wrap up our three-part series on sustainability. Attached to Hygiene is brought to you by Bostic and is hosted by me, Jack Hughes. It is produced and edited by me with the help of Paul Andrews, Michelle Tonkovitz, Emery Chernis, and Nikki Ackerman at Green Onion Creative. Our theme music is by Jonathan Boyle. You can follow Bostic for more hygiene industry insights on LinkedIn at Disposable Hygiene Adhesives or email us with questions, comments, or ideas for future episodes at hygiene at That's H-Y-G-I-E-N-E 
at Bostick.com. We'd also like to extend a special thank you to our guests, Say Sharawi, Luke Burkholder, and Christoph Morell, who played the role of our host for the first interview. You can find all three of them on LinkedIn, or you can feel free to address any emails to them directly at the hygiene at email address I just mentioned. If you like what you heard today, please subscribe to the podcast and share us with a friend or colleague. You can listen to Attached to Hygiene on our website or on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Pandora, TuneIn, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and YouTube. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time.